Yvonne had taught last week. And it's got a little bit mixed in of what Pastor taught a couple Sundays ago uh, before that. But if we could read Job uh, chapter 1, and um, we'll do verse 1, and then verse 6 through 12, and verse 20 and 22. Um, Job 1 and 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and the substance, and his substance has, is increased in the land. Verse 11, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that, that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And verse 20 through 22, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's room, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all that, Job, in all that this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You can go ahead and be seated. I know I jumped right into that. I didn't want Brother Kavan to have to stay back there all night, so I wanted to get those scriptures out. But uh, please... Uh, I, I want to say thank you guys so much for being here. I know with the weather and with everything, um, there could have been a lot of excuses or reasons not to come. And so I appreciate those that are here in pastor's absence. And I also just want to remind everyone of this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. We have a guest minister coming to preach the word to us. So don't forget about that. So Job. I'm going to try not to just say exactly what Kavan said. I think um, that here having a little bit more time, just kind of breaking it down a little bit. But this is actually the start of a series that I'm going to be doing just on all the different applications and things that we can learn from the story of Job. But in this passage of Scripture, we, we learn a lot. Um, and we see... The, the message, you know, the title is The Right Response. Job had the right response, right? And all that we see these words like blameless and he was blessed and all of these things. Um, and so, you know, to some of us, the desire to do the right thing comes pretty easily, right? We, we want to do the right thing, but we know that having the desire and the resolve to do the right thing isn't just enough, right? We have to have the commitment to actually follow through on those desires. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that want to do the right thing, but don't. 
And so we have to have that follow through. And that's a much harder thing to do. So there's this story, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, it's New Year's, um, a principal at a school encouraged his teachers to write New Year's resolutions. And in the teacher's lounge, you know, they had a bulletin and they were putting up all the resolutions. Well, the principal was there and he just was kind of overheard one of the teachers complaining going on about how it's just like this place not to have my resolution everybody else's resolutions are up there but I don't see mine up there and just went on this long rant about how uh, her resolution wasn't up there and so the principal was like you know thinking I didn't do this on purpose you know so he went back to his office and he went through the ones that he didn't put up there and found hers and he went and posted it and put it up, and the resolution read, I resolve not to let little things upset me anymore. (laughs) So sometimes doing the right thing sounds like a great idea, but actually doing it is harder than we imagine. And it is critical that we not only resolve to do the right thing, but also commit to follow through on our resolve. So I'm going to be talking tonight through this story about how God knows everything. Satan does not know everything. Satan is relentless in his pursuit of the faithful, but God is relentless in his love for the faithful. And so on that first thing, I'm talking about how God knows everything. Omniscient is a term in the Bible used to describe God, meaning all-knowing. The scripture teaches us that God knows everything. In Psalms 139, God's deep knowledge of the psalmist in all humanity is expressed. And God's omniscience was also revealed through his prophets to Israel, who they described in detail the kingdoms that would come and attack and carry God's people away. The knowledge of God is of a particular comfort for us in the story of Job. The one key that we must internalize is that God knew what would happen in Job's story. Job didn't know, and Satan didn't know, but God knew. Being aware that God knows all things can bring us comfort because there are times in our lives when we realize just how little we know. While God's knowledge has no limits, ours is limited in every way. When we live our lives based only on what we know or when we put faith in our own knowledge and wisdom, we're headed for a hard time, right? (laughs) However, when we build our lives, decisions, and feelings based on God's knowledge, we can be comforted in that. If we're not careful, when we read biblical stories we're familiar with, and we know the outcome of, we might be tempted not to give the story the emotional or spiritual energy that it deserves. And as we study the story of Job and his right responses, let's do our best to envision what our response would be um, if we were in the same situation. And let's consider the story as though we don't know what will happen. When we go through a trial, we you know, may have heard this didn't catch God by surprise, right? That's true. It doesn't. But most of the times our trials do catch us by surprise. (laughs) 
So the story of Job begins with a declaration of God's knowledge of Job. God knew that Job, Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. What an interesting beginning to the telling of Job's story. You know, we're told that he's blameless and he's upright. And so it would seem that there wouldn't be much else to report and that, you know, Job would be a really short story. But consider that the story of Job's life is not about the mistakes Job had made or was going to make. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, we, we read about David. Uh, what a great example he is to us. But we know he made mistakes. He fell, right? And we know Paul, who was Saul. I mean, we, we begin his story with his mistakes. And, but with Job, it's not that way. And so uh, the opening part of his biography reports that he was blameless. And so we may not achieve that every day, right? I know in my story that's not even the beginning of it as of today. But um, what a great goal for us, right, is to be blameless before the Lord and that that would be our story. So we read in verse 8, you know, have you considered my servant Job? And so normally if you knew that God was asking this question of someone with your name at the end, that might be exciting, you know? Like God is telling someone to consider my life as an example of righteousness. But here it was who he was asking. God was asking Satan this question. And how shocking when we realize it was God who suggested Job as a test case for the adversary. It was because of Job's faithfulness to God that he was a candidate for God's nomination for this test. And this is a challenging concept because it feels almost wrong or counterintuitive, right? Yes, faithfulness to God positions you for his blessings, but faithfulness to God is not a guarantee that there will not be testing from the enemy. Nor does faithfulness to God provide an exemption from the trials of life. Job, as well as ourselves, are called to have faith in God in good times and in the bad. God knew Job would be faithful because God knew everything and Job's character demonstrated his love for God. But Job was about to learn a deeper level of trust in God and receive a greater understanding of God's nature than he had previously. Revelation doesn't always come when we positively respond to God's spirit. It's not always just, you know, the, the move of the altar call. Sometimes the revelation comes through hardship and through trials, but God is faithful. And so we know through this story of Job, that God knows everything. But we also learn that Satan does not know everything. So who is Satan and what are his limits? You know, much has been said and written about the knowledge of Satan, yet Scripture provides information about the limits of his knowing. In our passage, Satan believed that Job only served God because of God's blessings in his life. So Satan was pretty much accusing God, saying, no one loves you because of who you are. People only serve you because you do good things for them. And so 
this is one of the central themes of the book of Job. Satan felt people only love God for what he does for them, and that knowledge was about to be tested in Job's life. Satan's knowledge is limited, but God accepted the challenge not only because he knew the outcome, but also because God knew the depth of Job's commitment to him. Something Satan and perhaps not even Job himself knew. God knew Job was not serving him for what he had received from God only. Satan accused God of having placed a hedge of protection around Job and having blessed the work of his hands, as we read in verse 10. And we should remember that when Satan says something, it's most likely not true. <laughs> uh, remember, Jesus told his followers that Satan is the father of lies with no truth in him. Had God placed a wall of protection around Job? Perhaps, you know, maybe. Or maybe Job had simply been blessed by God and therefore the adversary left him alone. God didn't confirm or deny Satan's assessment that Job had a wall of protection around him, but he did respond by saying, behold, all that he has is in your power in verse 12. And so we don't know, again, if he had this hedge of protection, but in verse 12, God gave Satan permission to test him. And so let's really let that sink in. You know, in heaven, there was a discussion between God and the devil about a righteous person on earth. As believers, there are many times when we're tempted to think that what we do or how we live on earth doesn't matter and that no one is paying attention. But here we see with complete clarity that that is absolutely not true that God and the devil pay attention to what takes place here on earth. And more particularly, it is demonstrated that God knows the righteous, and so does the adversary. The story progressed, and with newfound vigor, Satan viciously attacked Job, his livelihood and his family. And one thing, you know, to keep in mind is that it happened very quickly. You know, it says that while one servant gave the report of a disaster he had witnessed, another servant came rushing to report another tragedy. So it was tragedy after tragedy. Um, and, you know, for any person, it would almost just be too much to take in. And so you can kind of envision Job sitting at peace in his home one moment and then suddenly being interrupted by a servant rushing in with a terrible uh, report, and then perhaps the servant gave his report and thought, well, this is bad, but, you know, then there's this, and this is bad, but then there's this. And so as he was thinking about what was left, the other servant came rushing in with their reports, and Satan wasted no time. God gave him permission, and Satan wasted no time. And I don't know about you, but there's some seasons in life where it feels like that, right? It's like you get one piece of bad news after the next, after the next, after the next. Um, but this story can give us so much hope. And so if that's ever happened to you, we can relate so well because what was your response? We hear Job's response. And it's in verse 20. It says, then Job arose, tore his robe shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshiped. And 
that was just so good, what Brother Kavan had said last week about that. Um, because you admitted <laughs> that that in a situation similar was not your response. And, and to many of us. And so we recognize how beautiful this response is. And so when you look at that tearing one's robe and shaving one's head, they were signs of mourning in Job's day. So the news of his sudden and significant losses, they affected him at a deep level. It's not saying that he didn't care or that he just worshiped God because maybe these things, you know, weren't important to him. That's not what it is. He was mourning. He was affected by this. He was profoundly sorrowful and expressed his sorrow by his actions. However, even while while sorrowful at the terrible events that had taken place, Job worshiped. This cuts to the heart of what it means to live for God. Job didn't ignore what had happened. He mourned, but he also worshiped. If Job can worship through tragedy and pain, then we can too. Our worship can never be at the mercy of our circumstance. Our our worship can never be at the mercy of our circumstances. Circumstances change, right? We go through the good and the bad. Hallelujah. But we are to worship God. There's no indication that Job ignored his pain or pretended that everything was okay. In fact, he did the opposite. He mourned. But while mourning and being filled with sorrow, he also worshiped. And mature believers have learned to continue worshiping even during seasons of sorrow and pain. And it does. It takes maturity. It takes going through some trials and falling and learning. And then when it's good, worshiping and realizing he had me in his hand the whole time, right? I should have worshiped through it because God took care of everything. And so when we are hurt, broken, and sorrowful, Um, we can still worship the Almighty God. Because, you know, the adversary is never satisfied. He'll continue relentlessly pursuing the destruction of God's people. And maybe this knowledge and remembrance of God's interaction with the devil was in Peter's mind when he wrote 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Maybe it was just the trials in his own life, his own temptations that caused him to write that. But what a good warning to us as Christians. We've got to be vigilant. God allowed Satan to afflict Job's wealth, and his family as a test of his integrity and commitment to God. God said of Job in chapter 2, verse 3, which we didn't read, and still he holds fast to his integrity. Job proved God right by remaining faithful. The word for integrity is the same word used in Job 1 and 1 when it says blameless. It says that Job remained blameless and faithful to God. But 
the adversary didn't stop there, right? It is important for us to recognize that there will be an ebb and a flow of trials and challenges in our life. Trials and tests, blessings and strength, they're all a part of our life of faith. Scripture teaches that God allows seasons in our life. Psalm 1 declares that the one who walks in delight of God's word will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in his season. I couldn't help but think of pastor's message with the roots, you know, the image where he had the tree roots growing down. It's, we've got to be like a tree planted where through the good and through the bad, we are faithful. There are seasons of blessing and seasons of difficulty in every life. But Satan wasn't just satisfied with taking his family or his wealth. He said to God in Job 2, 4 through 5, in the New King James Version, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. His argument is that God has not allowed him to go deep enough below the surface to really injure Job. The adversary once again underestimated Job and his faithfulness and commitment to God. Job's health was afflicted with boils, which were likely aggravated ulcers. The affliction was painful, and it covered his body. Later in Israel's history, King Hezekiah suffered from a boil that was life-threatening. And in addition to the great pain afflicting his body, it's likely that Job thought he was going to die. You know, after everything, you lose your kids, your home, your wealth, your cattle, all of it, and now you're getting boils. I'm sure he thought he was going to die. And so we think in that situation, you know, what would our response be? What would Job's response be? You know, he didn't say, you know, God, do you even care? You know, you know all those things that go through our minds in those deep, dark moments. God, where are you? Or why is this happening to me? But scripture is clear that despite what we endure, God's love remains. Faith calls for us to believe and trust God's love even when it seems like he doesn't love or you cannot see or feel. We can trust in his love. It's important to note that even though Satan had great authority to afflict Job, he was still prevented by God from taking Job's life. Job suffered greatly, but there was a limit to what Satan was allowed to do. Later in the New Testament, Paul reminded the Corinthian believers that God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. What a testament to God's love. Hallelujah. And in the story of Job, you know, his wife isn't really a main 
character, she's only in a couple verses, yet we all, you know, if you've ever read the story, we know Job, because I think it's to give such a great contrast to Job's correct response. I think we all see ourselves in Job's wife. But Job's wife, um, you know, it almost comes off, you read it almost like she's sarcastic, you know, she's like, are you you're still as faithful as ever, aren't you? You know, like kind of rubbing it in. And why don't you just curse God and die is what she said. And we're not told, you know, how this affected Job, only his response to her. However, her defection is different from the other challenges Job faced. His wealth, health, his children, were taken, she alone remained, yet she chose the wrong response. I mean, if you if you think about it, she's right there along with them, you know? It's her cattle that's gone, her children that are gone too. But they had two very different responses. Serving God is challenging at times, right? But doubtedly so when we are alone or when we believe we're in alone. But Job's support had been removed. If his faith had been built on other people or on possessions, it would have crumbled. And so we must take time to examine our faith and what our faith is built on. If we're here only for our spouse, when troubles come, that's not going to hold us here. If we're only here for the blessings of God, when trials come, it's not going to hold us here. We must examine our faith. Regardless of all that befell him, Job remained faithful. He said, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. We know from the story that the hardship that came Job's way was from Satan. However, Job didn't know. He believed that the difficulties had come directly from God, you know, for all he knew. And yes, God authorized Satan to afflict Job and even suggested it, but God didn't bring the hardship to Job directly. It seems obvious that Job believed God had brought it, yet in spite of that, Job maintained his faith in God. Even though he believed God had brought about the hardship, he remained faithful. His view was God brings good and I accept it. So how can I not accept when God brings bad, right? And if we could stand tonight, Job's Faithfulness to God was not dependent on what God did for him. We see that. If it had been, then he obviously would have abandoned God by the end of it all. Instead, there was something more to Job's faith. It was was a belief in God that recognized that there were limits in human knowledge and trusted in God when those limits were exposed Job 2 and 10 says, In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job did not speak a word against God. Surely this tells the reader the importance 
of what is really being said. Job probably thought, wondered about God's faithfulness, God's love, God's justice. But in his response, we see his faithfulness. The right response is not only what we do, it also encompasses what we say. And to be blameless like Job and others of integrity, we have to train ourselves to respond correctly with both our words and our actions. And so tonight as we come to this altar, I want to challenge us to examine our faith. Does our faith go beyond the blessings of God? Does our faith go beyond just things are going good right now, so it's a, I'll come to church and I'll pray? Or is it God, no matter what, no matter what comes my way, God, I'll trust in you because, God, you know all things. And I will trust in your love for me because, God, your love remains. Hallelujah. If we could, I just want to invite you down to this altar tonight. Hallelujah. If we could go before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we are 